started. Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to meet in the house of God. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We come into this place because you love us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we can be in a place where we're loved and, Lord, where we can just worship you and know you and draw near to you, Lord. Thank you for Sunday night church, Lord. Thank you for the people gathered here tonight. Lord, we ask for a work of the Holy Spirit tonight. We pray, God, that you would refresh us, restore us, renew us, Lord. Do a new thing in us, Lord. We pray, God, that we would not grow hard-hearted, that we would not grow complacent, that we would not grow weary in well-doing, but, God, that you would do a work in us. Lord, we ask it. Lord, I ask for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire. And, Lord, we ask for that anointing to hear and receive all that the Spirit is speaking to us tonight. Anoint this word, O God. Have your way in it and be glorified in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody says, well, praise the Lord. In Luke chapter 16, we're going to be beginning in verse number 13 tonight. You know, one of the things that, that comes to mind is the world that we live in today. And it's really no different than the day that, uh, that this gospel was written. Uh, but we live really and truly in a man-pleasing world. We live in a world that, that is man-pleasing. Now, there's a couple of different ways that you can look at a man-pleasing world. Now, first off is uh, some people try to please men, <clears throat> try to get a promotion, try to get this, try to get favor from someone. You know, you do this and you do that just to try to be a man pleaser because you want something that they have or, you know, you feel more secure when people like you. It's a man pleasing world. But moreover than that, people please themselves. In other words, Men find themselves pleased through things of the world rather than things of God. And I want to tell you, God's calling and stirring the church to come back to a place to where we find our first love at the feet of Jesus. The day and hour in which we live in is very truly a covetous age. We live in a generation that is so covetous that they cannot spend you know, time in the house of God. They cannot spend time praying about God. They cannot spend time learning about God, reading the word of God, preaching the truths of God. Oh, but when you're on their Facebook, they'll say, God bless me. This is a very man-pleasing generation and man-pleasing world. In other words, we live in a generation that loves to please itself and not God. We live in a generation that loves to please itself and not God. And I'm here to tell you tonight, God wants to deal with that. God wants you to know and understand he's a jealous God. God will not allow you to have two masters. He will not allow you to go in two different directions. You can't go forward in God and forward in the world at the same time. You've got to make a decision on which one you're going to go forward in. Now, I know and understand on a Sunday night I'm preaching to the choir, but I know, I know, I know. That I know that I know that you can go to church and not be right with God because I lived that life for a long time until I got saved. So, I, I, you know, I'm just preaching what the Lord is sharing with me tonight uh, because God wants us to get this right. Amen. And God wants to stir you up so that you can carry this message to other people. God wants to stir you. How many of you know God wants to stir you up? God wants to stir you up. God wants to set you on fire. God wants to set you going out because there's a world that is lost and undone without God. Amen. 
God's not satisfied with the harvest as it is. The Word of God says God's not willing that any perish. Now, you may be okay with people perishing and going to hell, but God's not. God gives them every opportunity up to the last breath, even the thief on the cross. But don't bank your soul on being the thief on the cross. That man had over six hours to contemplate his decision as he was dying. He was dying for over six hours. And he was dying next to the Lord of glory. And he finally decided to believe. But most people don't get six hours. Most people don't get that long. Most people only get just a minute. Most people just, it's a, it's a flash. Most people don't have that long, and they, they think, oh, I might pull out of this. I might pull out of that. When you're hanging on a cross, you ain't pulling out. That man had six hours to contemplate. I believe his feet started probably getting hot. And he decided to, to, to believe upon Jesus. So don't bank your eternity on being like the thief on the cross and living for yourself and living for the world. And then in the last six hours, as you die a slow, agonizing death, you, you grab hold of Jesus. Is it possible, Pastor? Well, sure. Sure, it's possible. I believe God is pleading with people up to their last breath. I believe people that have been atheists all their life, they might be shot and laying down in a pool of blood, gasping for air, and I believe the Holy Spirit preaches to them. I believe the Holy Spirit will remind them of gospel messages, gospel tracts, will remind them of things they've heard of God up until the last tick of their life. But I'm not banking on that. But I'm not banking on that. Are you with me? There's a generation, and, and, and no one understands. Jesus said that there's going to be more that go to hell than go to heaven. It's not a pleasant thought to think about that people that you know, more than likely, I don't know how many people you know, but you probably got more than 100 friends on Facebook, at least. But the majority of the people of the world are going to go to hell, according to Jesus. But there's one here, one there, one here, one there, one here, one there that Jesus came for. He said he left the 99 to go after the one. Amen? To go after the one. And I want you to know it matters to that one. It mattered to me. It mattered to me that God opened my eyes. It mattered to me that God gave me grace. It matters to me that God took time out of his busy schedule to save my soul and fill me up to overflowing. It matters. Amen. It matters to me. I'm thankful for my Savior. I'm thankful for my salvation. But the reality is, is we live in a man-pleasing world. We live in a man-pleasing world. Look, read with me verse 13, Luke 16, verse 13. It says, no servant, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You ever had a, a job where you had two bosses? You ever had one of those jobs where there was one of those boss situations where you had competing bosses? And one boss would tell you to take out the trash. The other boss would tell you, don't take out the trash. What do you do? I don't know. Well, you know, whenever you try to live for the world and you try to live for God, it's the same way in the spirit. 
You won't know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. You'll begin to resolve to just simply living for the pleasure of your flesh. You've got, to make a, uh, you've got to make a resolve within your spirit to live for God come hell or high water. You've got to make a resolve within your spirit that you're going to be sold out for God and you're going to please your master. You're going to love him, serve him, and adore him and follow his every commandment no matter what the cost may be. God's looking for people that are sold out. God's not looking for people that are halfway God's looking for people that won't, won't care what anybody else says. You see, a good boss is looking for someone that will follow directions. In a worldly way, think about it. A good boss is looking for someone that will follow directions. Go take out the trash. Why didn't you take out the trash? Well, someone else told me not to. I'm your boss. I told you to go take out the trash. Don't ever disobey me again. Man, you're harsh. No, you need to learn to be obedient. Even in a worldly setting, this makes sense. You can't serve two bosses. Well, what if the bosses are going the same direction? Well, maybe, possibly. But you see, the world and God are going in two different directions. Oftentimes, when we go preach on the street, one of the things I'll say a lot is, you know, if you make yourself a friend of the world, the Bible says you've, you've made yourself an enemy of God. You cannot serve both. You can't have the love of the Father and the love of the world in you, according to 1 John 2. You can't have both. Well, I want both. You can't. You can't have your cake and eat it. Choose. You want to eat it? Eat it. But you cannot serve God and mammon, according to this scripture. Now, mammon here represents just the things that you can have with the world, but it represents just any false god. It represents any worldly thing. It represents anything that, that you could use in this world. One of the problems that we see here, though, is that there's, there are many people that they, they don't want to offend anyone. They want to be a man pleaser. In other words, they, they want to try to straddle that fence. As I told you in my illustration, if you have two bosses, you're not going to be able to please both. And a Christian's not going to be able to please the world. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more that line, that the demarcation, the line of separation is going to grow wider and wider and wider. And you're going to get to the point to where if you think you need the approval of the world, the love of the world, if you think you're going to be able to please the world. And let me backtrack just a little bit. If you think that worldly people are going to love you in the last days, you are deceived. You're setting yourself up. You're going to have to get ready. Amen. And I'm not saying discount them, don't love them. No, you're called to love them. You're called to have, have patience. You're called to have long suffering. But you need to know and understand the closer we get to the end, there's a line of separation between God's folks and the world's folks. And you're not going to be able to be pleasing in the eyes of the world. You can't serve two masters. And see, the generation that we live in right now, it, it, everybody gets offended about stuff. How many of you know everybody gets offended about stuff? That offends me. Right? You're not supposed to, you, you're not supposed to drive this car. That offends me that you use fossil fuels. 
It offends me that you use hairspray. It offends me that you, you know, everything offends everybody in this world. But you know, you're going to, and if you try to cater to that, how many of you know that's a never-ending process? That's a never-ending process. You know why? Because the world's never satisfied. The world is never satisfied because the flesh is never satisfied because sin's never satisfied. The wages of sin is death. All its desires to kill you. The world and the flesh are never satisfied. The Word of God says hell's never full. It's always expanding. It always makes room for one more. Hell's never satisfied. The flesh is never satisfied. The world's never satisfied. Always going to be offended about stuff. And so if you tiptoe around the world, try to not offend people, try to not offend people, I'm going to tell you, you need to hear this. In the last days, you're going to start offending God. If you try to live a life that does not offend the world, you're going to end up offending God. And you need to make a decision on who you'd rather offend. Would you rather be an offense to the world or an offense to God? You can't serve two masters. Nobody wants to offend anybody, but God can be offended. God can be offended. God is still holy. God still is holy. And He said He's a jealous God. Amen. He said He's a jealous God. We live in a world that has offended God. We live in a world that has offended God. Did you know that you offended God one time? Did you know you offended God? Let me show you Romans chapter 4. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Let's look at what we did. Amen. We, we offended God one time. We have to know and understand that the closer we get to the last days, This is going to be huge to know that it's possible to offend God. And if you walk on your tippy toes, walking around people, trying to be a people pleaser so that you don't offend them, you're going to end up offending God. But yeah, we offended God at one time. Let's read in Romans 4 verse 22. Speaking of Abraham, it says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness, his faith. It was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if, somebody say if. See, this is key. This is what makes you right with God. It says, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And here's a caveat or description. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You see, he died on the cross for our offenses. We offended God. We sinned against God. We trespassed against the holiness of God. Those offenses that we had, Jesus bore on the cross. He was delivered up to that cross because of our offenses. And he was raised for our justification, which is another message in and of itself. Justification is the process that God makes you righteous in. But, but know and understand that there's a reality we need to see. Offenses have to be dealt with. 
Jesus said in another passage in Luke chapter 17, it's impossible but that offenses come. But woe to those through whom they come. You have to watch this very carefully. Because it's possible in our effort to be loved by the world, to be loved by our friends. It's possible for our effort to be popular or to be notable or to be loved. It's possible that we end up offending a holy God. It's possible. There's, there's a reality we need to come back to that Joshua hit on. Joshua hit on that one. He said, choose this day whom you'll serve. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Well, paraphrase as Jesus said, God or mammon, choose this day whom you'll serve. And you have to make that decision for yourself. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to, we're, you know what, if, if they get offended about this or they get offended about that, that's okay. Because I'm not going to kowtow. I'm not going to bend the knee to compromise. I'm not going to allow compromise to water down the gospel message because there's only one thing that can save someone from an eternal hell. There's only one thing that can set someone free. There's only one thing that can heal someone. There's only one thing that can cast out a devil. There's only one thing that can save a soul, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're not going to compromise. We're not going to water it down. We're not going to tweak it. We don't need to improve it. The gospel don't need potpourri. It don't need any of that. It just needs us to preach it. It needs to be preached under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. People need to know the gospel. Amen. But people today are, 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 are using the gospel as a means to get rich. They're using the gospel as a means to grow a ministry. They're using the gospel as a means to gain popularity. They're using the gospel as a means to achieve things in life. But the gospel is meant to save souls, to set the captive free, to deliver those that have been in bondage, to break off the hard heart and give them a heart of flesh to love God. The gospel is God's means. To come to you, to know you, to love you, to draw you in. The gospel is that exchange. You offended God, so the gospel had to come forward. You offended God, so the gospel had to come forward. The gospel, the word gospel means good news. The bad news is you offended God, and God don't like it. But the good news is God loves you anyhow. And he sent Jesus to pay for your offense because your debt was too high. And the good news is if you'll receive it, he'll receive you. But if you reject it, he'll reject you. Amen. So we cannot manipulate it. I want you to get this. We can't manipulate the gospel just to please people. There's many people that you probably know that would love for you to manipulate the gospel just a little bit. Include Muslims. Include adulterers. Include junkards. Include the covetous. Include idolaters. Include them when Jesus is exclusive. Jesus invites all, but he's an exclusive God. He said he's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but by him. 
He is an exclusive means. And he invites all. Let me show you something in Romans 16. We're in Romans. Turn with me a few more chapters over to chapter number 16. Just carrying on about this offenses just for a little bit tonight. We've been called to not offend God. If, it, if need be, now you don't need to go around and just on purpose offend folks. You know, I don't go around and just say, you know, whatever. We have to be on purpose. We have to be led by God in our preaching and what we say. We have to be led by the Spirit of God. But you cannot please both God and the world. Get it. You can't. Our young people need to know it. Our old people need to know it. Our middle-aged people need to know it. Our children need to know it. They can't please God and the world. But there are some that go into churches and try to bridge that gap. They try to put a little potpourri on the gospel. Amen. Add in a little thing, you know. I know God don't like it, but, you know, it draws in some folks. I love what Brother Ravenhill said. He said, if revival comes to America, it's not coming through the gymnasium. He said, it's coming from an altar. If America experiences revival, it's going to come from an altar, not a gymnasium. Not a gymnasium. Amen. Oh, you know what we need to do? We need to build a gymnasium. No, we need to teach our kids how to pray. You know what we need to do? We need to build a merry-go-round. No, we need to teach our old folks how to pray. You know what we need to do? We need to get into Starbucks. No, we need to teach people to pray in the Holy Ghost so that they can be edified in their spirit. You know what we need to do? We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to fast. We need to preach. We need to go and tell someone that God loves them and God don't want them to go to hell, and he went to the cross for them. That's what we need to do. Amen? That's what we need to do, and that's what we're going to do because we're not going to offend God. Amen? But there are people that will come into churches, and, and they will end up creating offenses. Look in verse 17, Romans chapter 16. Read with me verse 17 and 18 tonight. He said, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Oh, you see, he's talking about people in the church. He's talking about people that will come into the church and prop themselves up as teachers and preachers and leaders, small group leaders. Visitors will come in and they'll bring in strange doctrines. It says, contrary to what you've been taught. How? How is this possible? They create division and offense. Who are they offending? Who's going to get offended about a wrong doctrine? God. You start lying about God. You start lying about God, God's going to get offended. Doctrine is what we know of God through Scripture. Who's going to get offended? God's going to get offended. You start telling people they can come to God any which way they want to come. You start lowering the standard. And you're going to start creating an offense. God's standard hasn't changed. God's still holy. I was just reading in my, in my, my, my 
scripture I was reading yesterday, you know, it's talking about the Sabbath. And it said that God's house, you're supposed to sanctify the house of God. He said, remember my Sabbath and sanctify my house. His house is holy. Amen. We don't come to his house any which way. Amen. We come with reverence into the house of God. Amen. We come in reverence to the Lord God, our maker. He deserves our best. Amen. He deserves our attention. He deserves us to sit up straight. He deserves us to not slouch. He deserves everything we got. Amen. He does. I reverence God. Amen. There's a lot of things I, you know, I want to touch on on that, but it's, it's important that we reverence God. Amen. He hasn't changed. He's still the same. But it says that these people came in and they caused division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned. He said, avoid them. Verse 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. I want to ask you a question since, you know, we're studying the scripture. Notice that these people that are bringing in a false doctrine that offends God. He said they're doing it for their own belly. What does that mean? It means that these people are doing it for their own gain. They're doing it for their own gain so that they can be enlarged, so that they can be thought highly of, so that, in other words, people will like them. I know that preacher preaches repent and believe, but you know, you you can live how you want to live. No, you cannot live how you want to live. The word repent means stop living how you want to live. And start living how God wants you to live. Repent and believe means repent and believe. We're not going to water down what the word repent means. Oh, just think better thoughts. No, it means stop living the way you want to live. And come to God and ask God how he wants you to live. That's what repent means. But these people, they got into here and they came into the church and they started offending God and they were doing it for their own gain. Mm, People do that today. Oh, people will come and they will water down the gospel so that they can get more money. They will water down the gospel so they'll get more folks. Listen, you cannot manipulate doctrine to make it more inclusive. You cannot manipulate doctrine to make it more inclusive. Well, I realize I'm preaching to Sunday night church folks, but understand this, the closer we get to the day of our departure, the more you're going to need to hold to that because the world's going to be after you. The world's going to be after you. Family folks are going to be after you. People you know, friends, people you used to go to church with, they're going to want you to water down. They're going to want you to make that gospel not as exclusive. Water it down so that homosexuals can get in. Water it down so drunkards can get in. Water it down so adulterers can get in. Water it down so that the covetous idolaters can get in. Water it down so that I can hold on to my pornography and go to heaven. Water it down so I can smoke a little marijuana and get high and still go to heaven. No, we're not going to water it down. The word repent means stop living the way you want to live. Order your life according to the steps of God. So these people, they came in and they, they enlarged themselves. And it says at the very end of that, notice what he says. He says that they deceived the simple. (laughs) 
You see, the, the simple, the, the Bible way of saying the naive. The naive. You know that there's people that are on fire for God. There's people that don't have any fire for God. And then there's the simple. They'll believe anything that sounds good. Oh, you can do it. Oh, you know, this is going to be your best year ever. You can do it. Well, you can't do it in and of yourself, but you can do it if you get right with God. You can, you can do whatever God calls you to do if you get right with God. But you could have a year where the bottom falls out. It don't mean God's left you. Because see, the, world, the way that the world operates and the way that the world thinks is, is a blessing and what God considers blessing is sometimes different things. We, one of the songs I used to love to sing in the nursing home when we had our nursing home ministry before COVID was Count Your Blessings. Jesus loves me and count your blessings. That was the two most popular songs in there. Remember that? Count your blessings. Name, number them one by one. Count your blessings. And you know what? Sometimes you need to sit back and count your blessings. And you know what? What you'll realize is the way that God blesses you is way different than the way the world considers blessing. World, the world's blessing is I've got this and I've got that and I've got this and I've got that. God's blessing is way different. But they deceived the simple. And I want to just carry on about this offense for a little bit. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Let's, let's get a little bit further with Paul, the Apostle Paul in here. Galatians chapter 5. Turn with me over there. Let's look at this. So one of the things that I believe that we're going to have to realize in the coming days is, and, and it's been that way, but it's just becoming ever more present, okay, is you're, you're going to have to make a decision on who you're going to offend. You can't please two masters. You can't serve two masters. You can't love two masters. I, can't, I cannot obey two bosses at the same time, right? I have to love one, obey one, follow one, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. But there's coming a, a, an hour in which you need to make a decision for yourself who you're going to offend. Would you rather offend the world or God? Would you rather offend the world or God? Because the message that we preach, the message that we hold to, the message that saved your soul is an offense to the world. You need to know that. You need to know that. You stink in, in, the, in the world's eyes. You stink in the world's eyes as long as you hold to the cross. The cross is an abomination to the world, but the world's an abomination to the cross. What put Jesus on the cross? The world. The sin of the world. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. So who will you offend? It says... In Galatians chapter 5, look in verse number 9. It says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. See, a little bit of watering down will water it down. It'll take you away from the truth. They say rat poison is 99% good food. It's got 1% leaven. Actually, I think it's 0.001%. It's 99% good. It's just got a little leaven. 
That's why God said a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. A little bit of poison will poison the whole thing. A little bit of compromise will take you away from God. A little bit of compromise in doctrine will offend God. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubles you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Here he goes. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Now, Paul had, a, Paul had a situation. Let me give you just a little bit of touching on this. Paul had a situation because he was around Judaizers, and they said, we're okay with your Jesus thing as long as you follow these laws. Then we'll consider you right with us. And they said, you know what? You can say the name Jesus, but you also need to say circumcise also. And Paul said, you know what? Why am I being persecuted if I preached circumcision? Because, see, these people were bringing this into the church, and he was trying to get the church to understand you can't allow the law of Moses to be mixed in with the gospel of Jesus. You cannot, uh, you cannot combine these things. Circumcision has its place before the cross, but the cross supersedes the law of Moses. The cross, Jesus said that he came to fulfill that thing. And he said on the cross, it is finished. And now we've been brought into a new covenant with God through the blood of Jesus, not the blood of animals. It's a greater thing. And Paul contended with Peter about this. He said, you can't live like a Jew and say that you've been made right by the cross. What makes us right is what Jesus did on the cross and us believing it. What makes you right is what Jesus did on the cross and you believing it. And all they wanted him to do was water it down with a little bit of law of Moses. Well, what's wrong with the law of Moses? Well, nothing's wrong with the law of Moses on the surface, but when you try to mix it with the cross, you've got a mixed thing. You've leavened the whole lump. You've compromised the gospel. You've watered down the gospel. The power of the cross, that's the means to save a soul, and you cannot mix anything with it. You can't say, well, you gotta, you, you got to go to Jesus and the cross, and you got to do... No. There's no end. Jesus paid it all. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Every sin debt that you owed, every offense you had towards God was paid on that cross. What God needed to be done was done by himself. What God needed to be done to reconcile you and me was done by Christ himself. And that's why Paul stood up to Peter about this. He said, no, 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 we're not going down this road, Peter. And Peter couldn't say anything. You notice in this, Peter had no response to getting rebuked. Because he knew he was wrong. And, and, and Paul here, he's saying, you know what? If, and the, the thought was, well, well, Paul teaches people to be circumcised. They were trying to lie about Paul. They were watering down the gospel. They said, Paul preaches people to be circumcised. He said, no, I don't. Because if I did, why am I being persecuted? The Jews were trying to kill him. Do you know who had Paul arrested? 
Jews. Because he preached the cross, not circumcision plus cross. He said the cross is an offense. Notice what it says. He said if if he preached circumcision, then the offense of the cross has ceased. If you preach the cross plus, there's no longer offense. Power is gone. No gospel. You've compromised it. You've changed it. You've manipulated it. You've created something that's an abomination to God. God never allowed mixed religion. You can't serve Dagon and God. You can't serve Ashkelon and God. You can't serve anything else and God. You can't serve a golden calf and God. You can't serve mammon and God. You can't serve two masters. You've got to choose whom you'll serve. You cannot serve two masters. Paul's... Paul here is hanging on the offense of the cross. And I want to tell you, the cross is an offense to the world. It offends people to know that they're not right with God. What do you mean I'm not right with God? I'm a good person. Have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, everybody does. Then you're not a good person. Your standard of good is a lie. Only God is good. The word good actually is a derivative of the word God. It's birth from God. And see, people, everybody thinks that they're a good person, but when you, when you see and realize the standard and the holiness of God, you realize real quick we've offended God. And the cross is an offense to a world that has offended God. Amen. It's, whenever you come and you realize what the cross is, you need to know it shows you just how holy God is. It shows you just how holy God is. And there's no effort on your part or my part that can make you right with God. You have to receive what he did. You have to receive what he did. He did it all, and you have to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You have to to surrender to God and receive what he did. Now, that offends the flesh. Because even as I'm preaching this, The flesh says, well, yeah, but you also need to do this and you also need to do that. No, you need to repent and believe the gospel like Jesus said. You need to repent and preach the gospel. Jesus said in in the end of the gospel of Luke, he said, you need to go out and preach repentance and remission of sins in my name. That's the gospel, folks. That's the gospel. And the world don't like it one bit. God's holiness is so high that only the work of the cross can attain it. Listen to that. God's holiness is so high that only the work of the cross can attain it. That's how high his holiness is. You put, you put your works up with that, you put your works up with that, you've, you've diminished the work of the cross. Listen very closely. People will try to look good in the world's eyes by adding and compromising the message of the cross. And when you add or compromise the message of the cross, you've lost the power of the cross. The cross is meant to be despised in the world's eyes. It's an offense to the flesh. It's an offense to Satan. But it is the gospel message, the power of God and the salvation to all who believe. The message of the cross is the power of God and the salvation. God has called us to preach the cross. 
Now we're Pentecostals. I believe in the power of God. I believe in Pentecost. Amen. I'm so thankful today we had a, a, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. We saw the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing. We tongue talking. Amen. Devil casting out folks. But you know what? The cross is what affords us that right. They had to believe on that cross and be right with God before they were able to receive the Holy Ghost. Because God's not going to live in an unclean house. Now, you need to hear that. God's not going to live in an unclean house. He's not going to sit up there next to Dagon. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 5. He said, you can't serve two masters. God's not mocked. We cannot believe for one minute that we can please the world and be pleasing in God's eyes. Dagon was a god of the Philistines. It's kind of unique. Dagon was half fish, half man. He he had the, the, the face of a man the arms of a man, but he had the body of a fish. And the priest wore hats that looked like fish's mouths. Like this, like a V. Oh, there's a lot in that. But, but Dagon was the god of the Philistines. And one of the things that I find unique about this chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, you're about to see the ark of God get carried into the temple of Dagon. But the part that I find unique about this is what led up to that? What led up to this mixed thing? What led up to this bad situation? How many of you know it's a bad situation? The ark of God and the, the inside the house of Dagon. You remember when Samson was put into the, Samson brought, was brought into the same temple. Philistines brought him in. They served Dagon. This is on down the road. What happened to Samson? Samson had the anointing of God, but because of his sin and compromise, he lost that anointing. They cut his hair. Anointing was gone, power of God was gone, spirit of God was grieved, and he got brought into the temple of Dagon, and he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was laughed at, he was scorned, but then grace came, his hair grew back, his strength came back, that anointing came back, and God allowed him to take them all out. But what led up to Samson's greatest victory over the Philistines? was his compromise put him in that bad predicament. And one of the things that you see about this here, how, how does the ark get here to where the Philistines have the ark? How many of you know God, that's, that represents God's presence? The ark of God, it's where the mercy seat is. It represents God's presence. How does it get in the temple of Dagon? Compromise. Compromise. You see, 
Eli, they, they, they had all this system set up, and his, his sons were living ungodly lives. And he didn't do anything about it. He let them continue to take food that didn't belong to them, and he allowed them to continue to have relations with women in the name of the Lord. Oh, you want to be right with God? Just like pagans do. Just like pagans do. And God, he said, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. And he allowed, they died, Eli died, and he allowed the Philistines to take the ark out, and that's when they wrote Ichabod over, the, over where the, the ark was. The glory of God has departed Israel. That's what led up to this. You see, the enemy cannot curse what God has blessed. But if you compromise, if you lie about God, if you start offending God rather than the world, you're going to lose that anointing on your life. What makes you special in God's eyes is that anointing. It says in verse 1, it says, The Philistines took the ark of God, brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod, which that's a sermon in and of itself. Ebenezer represents a moment, a testimony. The Ebenezer stone, it represents a testimony to God. And the presence of God went from testimony to Paganville. How many of you know sometimes that can happen in your life? If you don't watch out, the presence of God can leave. I don't believe in once saved, always saved. And I don't believe in once filled, always filled. I believe you need to get refilled. I believe the world will drain you, the flesh will drain you, life will drain you, and you need to get refilled with the power of God. You need to come back to God. Paul said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And the word there is in verb tense. It means be being filled with the Spirit of God. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. So they went from testimony to Paganville. The Philistines took the ark of God, brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Think about that. When, when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon, set him in his place again. And when they arose early on the Morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Let me tell you, I'm going to stop right there for the sake of time, but let me tell you something. God's not going to cohabitate with the pagan God. God's not going to cohabitate with a pagan entity. God's holy, and he's not going to be in the midst of an unholy people. Now, how does this relate to us? Did you know that you're the temple of God? Did you know that you're the temple of God? God doesn't dwell in temples made by hands right now, does he? He lives in temples made by the blood. You're the temple of God. And you know what? You see, when they had this Dagon in there, when the presence of God was in there, something had to give. 
something had to give. There, you can't have two masters inside you. Something's got to break. Something's got to give. And you see, sometimes I've seen this happen in people's lives where they experience things that they love, their idols. Could be a job, could be a relationship, it could be this, it could be that. It will crumble. If you begin to allow something to get set up, even equal to God, it will be crumbled before your very eyes. God will have no rival. God will have no rival. God will allow things to fall apart if they're keeping you away from him. God will allow some things to crumble. He's not going to allow Dagon to just stand there like a dumb idol that he is in his presence. Even though Dagon's nothing, it represents something. You see, there could be things in our life. There could be things in our life that we're serving like we should be serving God. And we've got to, we've got to say, Lord, I'm not going to serve two masters. If my pride, if, if I'm too proud, you know, some of you, you, you get around certain folks and, and, and you know better. Right? You know certain things are sin and certain things keep people from heaven, but you keep your mouth shut. Well, you know, I just got to, if I say something, you know, it's just, it's going to cause an issue. You keep doing that. And that something could crumble, could crumble, because God's not going to allow Dagon to stand next to him. Either he'll leave or it'll get broken. One of the two is going to happen. In Eli's life, God left Ichabod out. Here, Dagon crumbled. And in our lives, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Spirit of God, and you can grieve the Spirit of God. And if God can leave the house of God like he did with Eli, he can leave the house of God now. You can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, go look it up. You can quench the Spirit. And God's, God's desire... God's desire here is that you would see and understand this reality. This reality. This is what God wants you to see and understand. God's not going to live in a compromised temple. God's not going to live in a compromised temple. You, you compromise the message. You compromise in sin. You compromise in this or that. You compromise in one area, but not the others. God's not going to live in a compromised temple. He'll break that or he'll leave the house. He'll break that or he'll leave the house. And we need to make, we need to reconcile that. And we need to say, you know what, Lord, I would rather offend Dagon than you. I'd rather, def- I would rather offend the Judaizers than you. I would rather offend the drunkard than you. I would rather be an offense to the world than you. What about you? What say you? 
Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Who would you rather offend? God or man? Because know this, you can't serve two masters. Jesus said you can't. So raise your hand if you can serve two masters. Because Jesus said we can't. You're going to love one and despise the other. Well, I'd rather love God. How about you? I'd rather love God. How about you? Amen. I believe God wants you to just make a declaration to him tonight and renew your love for him tonight. I believe that God wants to do a work in us to prepare us for the days ahead. I do not believe the world's going to get better. I believe it's going to grow more contrary to God. I believe that we're going to need to know and buckle down on these truths. I believe that we need to stand on the rock that is higher than ourselves. I believe we're going to need to know how to run to that shelter, that strong tower of the name of God. I believe we need this now more than ever. I believe we live in an untoward generation. And people, the world and the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the enemy is waging war with every child of God. But greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Amen? Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you tonight for the message of the cross. We thank you, Lord, that the cross is the means of salvation. The cross is our means, Lord, that you've given us to be reconciled to you, to be made right with you. Lord, we thank you for the cross tonight. Without the cross, Lord, where would we be? Lord, God forbid that we backtrack off that cross today. That cross is what saved us. Lord, God forbid we backtrack off that thing today. Lord, I pray that you would prepare us for the days ahead. Lord, I realize I'm preaching to the choir tonight, but even the choir needs preached to. I realize I'm preaching to the choir tonight, Lord, but even the choir needs strength from above. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us for the battle. Prepare us, Lord, for the day ahead. Lord, whatever the battle is, do inside of us all that's necessary, Lord, so that we don't, so that we don't compromise, so that we don't falter, so that we don't water down, manipulate your cross. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. As we open up these altars, we invite you to come. Ask the Lord to renew the fire in you. Ask the Lord to renew the fire in you.